Okay, well, good morning, everybody. We're going to be reading uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, down through uh, verse 31. So when you find Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, would you please stand for reading God's word? All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to every that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Amen. <clears throat> May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, again, we are looking to you, Father, praying that you will grant to us understanding of what we're studying today. Show us the relevance of it. Thousands of years uh, after this is written, here we stand today in a totally different context in terms of culture, uh, even nationality and so forth. And yet, we understand that this is the very Word of God. This is Your Word. So, Father, again, we ask You to open up our understanding, open our hearts to receive Your truth and to be changed by it. So that just as you have designed, we are changed from glory to glory, conformed to the image of Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was looking at these things um, in preparation, I, I wanted to do one sermon on the fact that man is created in the image of God. And so that's, that's what we're doing this morning. Um, but first I was thinking, you know, I'll go through the two accounts. You essentially have two accounts of creation. Um, first in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1, running all the way through chapter 2, verse 3. And then the second one picks up there, chapter 2, verse 4, to the end of, uh, to the end of chapter 4. Um, so I was thinking about doing both of those back to back and then come back and talk about man being created in the image of God um, and which which would mean I would have to focus again on these verses in chapter one so any, anyway I've just, it was kind of back and forth on that, but I've decided to do it this way so so what we've done in the in the previous two weeks is try to cover chapter one uh, the first creation account and uh, in doing that, we, we focused in, first of all, on God, 
the first week. And, uh, of course, we do want to remember all the way through here that he is the, the, the main character, right? We don't want to forget that. But, um, but I had kind of a general outline in view for the first few chapters, which God, creation, we did those two, uh, God and the creation. And then shifting the focus to um, man in particular as part of God's creation. Um, focus on man being made in the image of God. And then on marriage, because uh, there is a uh, there is a <laughs> foundational <coughs> uh, account of, of uh, for marriage here in these in these first couple of chapters. So so that's what we're doing. We we talked about God, talked about creation. Now we're focusing on um, man as a part of creation, or I should say it this way: man is a unique part of creation because he's created in the image of God. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll go back and, and look at um, chapter 2. Now, I'm just giving you a heads up because you can read ahead and be meditating on these things. But chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. Um, and then, after that, Lord willing, um, just like we're setting one message aside now for the image of God, after that we'll set one message aside for marriage uh, and focus in primarily on chapter on chapter 2, verses uh, 23 through 25. So that's just kind of a... Uh, well, it actually be a little bit more than that. But that's just kind of a kind of a heads up as to what we're, we're looking at here. There, there are, as we said earlier, foundational passages to, here to so many things because this is just as the book is titled. This is the beginnings, right? The beginning. And you, 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 got, you get that, of course, in 1.1, one, one, in the beginning, God created, and that's the real... Beginning of the beginning. I mean, that's that's the beginning of all things, except God. And then you get to ch- chapter. Um, and and I, by the way, and I'll just mention this. You you can remember it as we go. But I pointed out earlier, one one. John one one uses the same phrase uh, as no accident because he's pointing us to the same beginning. So he sa- he begins his gospel in the beginning um, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But he's using that same in the beginning phrase. Um, specifically, I mean, immediately his Jewish readers would recognize that as the beginning of the books of Moses, okay? So they know he's talking about the same beginning. Well, similarly, and I, like I say, I'm just heads up here, but when we get to 2-4, you've got the same thing. These are the generations, or the book of generation, the, the book of origin, the very same phrase that Matthew begins his gospel with. So um, there's significance in that. It's not it's not happenstance, not accident. They do that for a reason because they want to point us back to what we're looking at here. So um, in the beginning, as we talked about earlier, God created. God created everything. And just for a little emphasis on that, uh, let me, let's let's just be clear. In the beginning, there was nothing but God. Nothing but God. No matter, certainly no human beings, animals, plant life, matter in any form. There, there was nothing but God. And then God created. Created. Or the way that it's stated here, He created the heavens uh, and the earth, which I think is just a way of saying He created the universe. I mean, He created all things. Or... Um, just to kind of paraphrase what John says in John 1, there wasn't anything made that was made. 
that was not made through Him, through Jesus Christ. God created everything. Through Him, the worlds came into being. Through Him, everything came into being. There was nothing but God. And then God created. Now, we, we went and we did it um, basically an overview. I mean, we just kind of went briskly through the six days of creation last week. Uh, and so I'm bringing us back now to day six. So just to put us in context, um, God has created the heavens and the earth and has begun to fill Form and fill. You know, you, verse 1 and 2, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Then during the six days, what God does is form and fill. Remember that from last week? So He, he gives shape to everything, brings um, chaos into order. Uh, it's, you know, even themes like that are just uh, <laughs> relevant for you and I. Today, as we live out life, this is the God who brought a chaotic universe into order. Who set the stars in place. Called them by name. Set the orbits of the planets and put them into motion. And this is the God who promises to bring form, order, to our lives as individuals. He does that to us as a people. You know, I mean, he, cre- he creates the people in the Old Testament. You know, he creates, uh, well, first the first people, you know, Adam and Eve. But then he creates a nation unto himself, the nation of Israel, out of the seed of Abraham. And that's just foreshadowing what he's, uh, he's going to do with the church uh, and, and a uh, kind of a first fruits of, of um, the people of God in general. God creates a people unto himself gives form to a peculiar nation, right? A chosen race, a royal priesthood. The people of God brings order out of chaos. He does that on these massive scales, and then He does that uh, even in our own individual lives. So, in the first six days, God creates out of nothing. He creates all things in the first five days, I guess I should say, bringing us up to the sixth. In the first five days, He creates all things and begins to fill the earth. Now, He's created everything but man. So, let's just go back and read a little bit. Verse 24, Let the earth bring living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So God has created all things except man at this point and declared all things good. And I think there's a, a little bit of a contrast here uh, in, in, the, uh, in the way that God takes the next step. And it is to set apart man as unique. So I mentioned last week um, this emphasis on according to their kinds, according to their kinds. And so up to this point, God has, has, has designed, created, spoken to existence all things according to their kinds and designed them in such a way that they reproduce 
according to their kinds, right? And, and last week I, I mentioned it uh, specifically in reference to the modern day belief in, in macroevolution, that, that things actually change from one kind to another. And uh, I, I think you can refute that here, uh, at least for the mind of a Christian. I think you can, you can see here um, that God made things according to their kinds, and that's the way they stay. They reproduce accordingly. But I want to look at it just in a little bit different light today, um, because, again, what we're emphasizing here is the uniqueness of man. So there's, although we don't you know, know much about how God creates, other than He just could speak things into existence out of nothing and then form them into the form that He desired for them to have. But up to this point, he's done that. Everything, and, and here again, it's emphasized over and over and over, everything according to its kind. According to their kind, according to their kind, according to their kind. And there's never any suggestion that their kind is like God's kind. There's, there's a total um, distinction made between creator and creation. Their kind, their kind, their kind, their kind, as God creates. But then you get to verse 26, and Moses writes for us, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's astounding, really, when you, when you think about it. And I think it's intended to, to jump out at us that way. God made, God made. Or he, or he said, He said this, and He made that. And He formed them, made them according to their kinds, according to their kinds, according to their kinds. And then God said, you can almost hear Moses say as he's writing it. And then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now, let's be clear about a couple things here. Um, man's not equal to God. And so we, we wouldn't want uh, to operate under that delusion for sure. So, so there is a distinction that remains. I mean, it's clear. In other words, who's speaking things into existence? Who's forming whom? God is forming man. In fact, we see as we go on, uh, we've already seen some of it, and see as we continue into chapter 2. What does God do? God creates man. And then God provides for man. I mean, all of the, I mean, and lavishly, by the way. It's just all of the fruit trees and so forth. At this point, uh, man is not a meat eater. All right? But God gives man all of the, all of the fruit of the, the, the trees, all of the fruit of the vine and so forth. So God creates man. God provides for man. God places man. You know, even after man is is created, and there you have you know what we call a free moral agent. You know, there he, there he stands, created before God and in the image of God. He's still operating under God's rule, restraints. So God, God. Place. God's the creator, right? Not man. So God, God creates man. He provides for man. He places man in the garden. This, this, he's made a habitat for him. This is going to be your, 
your habitat. And then God commands man. And He does that in the form of giving him a, a mandate, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and also in the form of a prohibition. In the midst of the garden, there are two trees, right? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says to man, you shall not. You, well, first, I guess we, we really ought to put emphasis where it rightly is. First, there's the you shall. I mean, you, you can have all of the fruit of all of the trees. That's why I said earlier, He lavishly provides for him. But then He does give this prohibition. But this one tree, there in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, you, you can't eat of that tree. I'm just pointing that out here just to show uh, who's in charge. It's God that creates. It's God that provides. It's God that places man. It's God that commands. So, and we're going to talk about the uniqueness of man, but we don't want to confuse man with God. In fact, that's exactly what got him kicked out of the garden. They confuse themselves with God. We, we, we sure don't want that to fall back into that era. So, verse 26, God created man. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, I'll just mention briefly here, I said, I've said something about this last week. I, I do think the plural pronouns there uh, hint at the triunity of God. And we understand God to be Father, Son, and Spirit and I think you see that hinted at here. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think Moses understood that when he's writing, and I don't think he had that in view. I'm not saying anything like that. But uh, these are these writings are inspired by God Himself, and uh, it seems to me, you know, it's not a coincidence that the uh, pronouns are plural. Some people say, well, he's talking to his um, his heavenly court, which include which would include the angels, for example. Um, but I don't know of any evidence in Scripture. And if you do, I mean, really, seriously, point it out to me. But I can't think of any place in Scripture that suggests that angels are made in the image of God. And here uh, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so for that to be true, angels would have to be made in the image of God. I think... What we have hinted at here is the triunity of God. In other words, Father, Son, Spirit, our image, our likeness. Let us make man. And that harmonizes, doesn't it, with John 1, where um, John talks about God creating the world, but then specifically refers to Christ as being creator, agent of creation. All right, but for today, um, what we want to notice is, uh, especially notice is, Phrases, the, the, uh, the phrase there, image and likeness. Image and likeness. Um, I don't know that there's any real distinction that, that uh, we need to take note of in those two terms. Probably two ways of more or less saying the same thing. It's just for emphasis, probably. The idea here is, put very simply, man is created in some way like God. Now, I've already pointed out, man's not God. Not that you needed that 
point it out to you, but nevertheless, we, we, we probably all do need reminders. Uh, but man's not God, we know that. But in some ways, he's like God. There's a likeness there. He images God. So I would say for main point here, very simple, very simple. Man, like no other part of creation, is created in the likeness of God. So that's what I mean when I'm talking about the, the uniqueness of man. In fact, um, historically, uh, man is often referred to as the apex of creation or the pinnacle of creation. Now let me say something else there too just to make sure I'm not misunderstood. When I say man, I'm referring to human beings. Um, and I'm doing it quite intentionally because that's the way the Scripture speaks. So, for example, you look in verse 27. So God, here's our definition for man. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Now, was Moses confused? And, and so, therefore, you got singular, you know, him or man in the first part of that verse. And then you go, wait a minute. Now he says male and female, them, plural them. No, Moses wasn't confused. The term man is representative of male and female. In other words, we, we, do, we do the same thing. You know, we, or we use terms like mankind or something like that. So when I say man, understand, when we talk about man is created in the image of God, understand what we're talking about is male and female. So, men and women are both likewise created in God's image and likeness. That is true of both men and women. But it is not true of any other creature. Period. Not your favorite dog or cat. <laughs> In fact, I heard a theologian say just the other day he was pretty sure that cats were the result of the fall. Uh, so, I mean, I'm almost inclined to, to uh, go with that. <laughs> yeah, I can't prove it, but uh, there's a lot of evidence, though, uh, in their behavior. Um, so, no other creature, no other creature is created in the image of God. So let's be clear on those two things. First of all, when we say that man is, we're talking about male and female, men and women. And then secondly, that it is exclusive to human beings. And again, I would include in that the angels. I, I, don't, think, I, I don't know of any place in Scripture that, that speaks of the angels as being created in the image of God. Uh, at least we're not told that. So, I, you know... I don't think that's the case. Uh, but certainly not any of the other uh, earthly creation. Right? So you've got one species, one being or kind of being out of all of creation made in the image of God. So this is the high point of God's creative work. You can see why people call it the apex or the pinnacle. 
Because man is distinct from all the rest of creation. There is no other creature on par with man. I, uh, I guess, you know, in our day, animal rights and all that kind of thing is real popular. And some of it, I, you know, I don't really want to make fun of it. I mean, some of it I appreciate. And, and we're, we are, uh, one of the things we're going to see here is that man is, um, given care of the garden and care of the rest of creation. So we got a responsibility to take care of animals and be humane and all of that sort of thing. But in our day and time, the, there is actually confusion in terms of importance, value, dignity. So we want to be clear as Christians that man is set apart. I mean, on one level, we want to acknowledge... Another thing you should point out here, right? Man, man is formed, and we'll see this as we go on like in chapter 2. Man is formed out of the dust of the ground. So, so yes, we want to acknowledge our creatureliness. We are definitely creatures, not God. And we want to put proper emphasis on that. But we also want to emphasize properly the fact that we are made in the image of God. We bear a likeness to God that no other creature Bears. Now, what does that mean exactly? That man is created in the image of God. I want to give you one thing straight out of the text. And then I want to give you some other things to hopefully help us think about this that um, you would have to go to other parts of the Bible to find, but I think, uh, or even just experience, you can know some of them from experience, Um, but I think they're helpful in in understanding what it means to be created in the image of God. And I'm not by any means giving you an exhaustive list. I don't know that we could exhaust it, but I'm just going to give you a few. Um, So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, and this is the one that's coming straight out of the text. First of all, um, it means that we have dominion. So, or as people like to say it today, we rule, right? There's a sense in which that's true. Now, you know, we get carried away with that and uh, put ourselves in place of God and so forth. That's dangerous. But there's a sense in which it's true that we rule. So, so he make, God makes man in his own image. And again, remember, I'm referring to male and female, men and women. God's created man in his own image, his own uh, image he created. He created him, male and female, he created them. Then in verse 28... And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Come back to that momentarily. Fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So you you can see, um, again, the uniqueness, because God's created all things up to this point, all the animals, all the plants, Everything from the, you know, from the smallest critter, or like it says here, creepy thing, um, you know, everything from that all the way up to the biggest animal or mammal, dinosaurs, whatever. God's created all things. And then He tells man, you're going to have dominion over all of that. He, he puts man, man, male and female, in charge of the whole thing. And I'm suggesting here that that is part of being created in the image of God. 
That's why man has dominion. He is reflecting, or let's say it this way, he is, uh, uh, he is created to reflect the rule, the authority of God in this way, that he's, he's got the care of all creation. So he says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he has dominion. And there's more. Um, we may get to say about that later. Uh, you know, even the, uh, uh, the dominion over the garden. You know, he's given the garden, the earth, to till the land and so forth. But, so, number one, he has dominion. Now, as I said, that, that comes straight out of the text there in, in verse 28. And I think that that is part of being created in the image of God. Because it's not, that kind of dominion is not given to any other creature. Secondly, now, some of the rest of these, are, are, or maybe all the rest of these, I'm, I'm just going to give you some things that I think um, are part of being created in God's image. And like I say, they're not necessarily out of this text. You'd have to go to other places to find them. So number two is we have inestimable value. There may not be. There may not be a greater evidence of the depravity of man than the devaluing of human life. The fact that we have a whole industry today that exists far and on murdering babies is, um, I don't know, it's just, it's just hard to even put into words the, the evil, the wickedness, or that one man would gun another man down in the street for a few dollars or something like that, or less. There's probably not a greater evidence of the depravity of man. Maybe we talk more about that later when we get to the fall. But for now, let's, let's just make this point. Every human being at every stage of development is of inestimable value. How, how, how will you put value on the image of God? Sometimes when, a, uh, when an artist creates a magnificent work, a painting, something of that sort, um, Sometimes it's hard for appraisers to put value on it because, you know, it's, it's so great. Well, how much more when you think of the divine artist, creator, finishing off, topping off his work by creating a being in his own likeness and image, how much then is that being who bears his image worth? Flip just a few pages over to Genesis 9, and you're going to see the, uh, the institution of capital punishment and the reason for it. Genesis 9, 5. 
And for your lifeblood, I will... This is God speaking, of course. For your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. I don't know how you can be more clear than that. God says, if you shed a man's blood, in other words, you murder a man, then you must be put to death. If you are murdered, then your murderer must be put to death. Why? Because God made man in His own image. Because murder is, is, is the ultimate assault on the image of God. And therefore, it is an assault against God. You have attacked, killed His image. That is worthy of the death penalty. Now, we we have people today who think that it is humane to do away with the death penalty. And they think, well, you know, because we should value human life. And, of course, they're talking about the murderer. Of course we should value their life. But what we do is in reality, devalue human life by taking away the death penalty. Because what we're saying is that person that they killed is really not worth that much. It's not worth the sentence of capital punishment on their assailant. God says it is. And the reason that it is, and of course this is one reason, uh, and this is why people don't understand this, because you know, people in the world, because they don't understand man to be made in the image of God. The reason God says we have that kind of value, we possess that kind of value, is because we bear His image. So James says we shouldn't even speak against one another. Because you're insulting someone who bears the image of God. James 3.9. He's talking about the unruliness of the tongue, the human tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. (laughs) You see what James is doing is pointing out an absurdity there. God, I love you. And then you, you, you know, we talk about somebody else. Oh, that scoundrel, you know. That person who bears the image of God. And James is trying to, to point out the, the absurdity there. I mean, it's, it's, it's in, in a sense, it would be like, you know, praising someone's looks, but then looking at their mirror image and talking about how horrifying they are. It doesn't make sense. And it's an attack on not just the image bearer, but it's an attack on the image on, on the the uh, the one whose image they bear. So, uh, and I should point this out too that e- this is even after the fall. Genesis nine is after the fall. James three nine obviously is after the fall. So even after the fall, even after man has fallen into sin, we are spoken of as bearing the image of God, and that value remains attached. And so we're not just talking about Adam and Eve here. We're talking about all human beings bear the image of God and are 
therefore possess inestimable value. A couple more things. We are moral beings. So I, I would say a couple things along with that. First of all, we're capable of doing moral acts. Now that is, we, 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 do, we actually do right and wrong. And your dog's not really capable of that. I mean, I know, you, you come home and you find where the dogs jumped up on the table and ate the turkey. And you think, and you go tell the dog, that was wrong. Well, in one sense it was, but in another sense it was not. In other words, it was wrong, I mean, because you didn't like it, and, you know, and, and maybe too, because maybe the dog knew better. I mean, maybe you trained the dog not to jump up on the table and take the turkey, and so, you, you know, you, you did wrong. You, you, you violated your training, but it was not immoral. It was not immoral because the dog's not capable of moral activity. Got no sense of morality. You can train them to do things, but you but you can't read them the law, and then expect them to keep it. I heard uh, I audited a class one time with Gerald Bray. He's a well-known Anglican theologian, um, and and. I wish I could remember it. The way he said it, because it was funnier when he said it. But, but he just made the point, you know, if it, he's, to make this point about morality in animals, he said, you know, if a dog bites you, you know, you don't get mad at it. Like, I mean, you may get mad, but you know what I mean. You don't, you don't think it's committed an immoral act, and so you're, you know, you're indignant with the dog. That's what dogs do, and you understand that. On the other hand, if a man bites you, you have quite a different reaction. And you should. You should. Because we're moral creatures. So we're, we're capable of committing moral acts, doing right and wrong. And I would just add along with that, the, the fact that we, that we know right from wrong. Now, please understand me here, because I'm, you know that I, in fact, just a moment ago, I was talking about the depravity of man. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, you know, one minute you're saying man is depraved and, and uh, you know, you, and you t- and you teach total depravity, and the next minute you're saying we know right from wrong. Um, well, it's not really a contradiction there. We we I'm, when I say we know right from wrong, I don't mean that we've got it all. We we know everything, uh, but I'm saying that there is some sense because we're created in the image of God, and God made us with a conscience, and that conscience is at least partially rightly informed, we have a sense of right and wrong. So just for example, most people understand that it's wrong to murder, what we were just talking about a moment ago. Even murderers understand that it's wrong to murder. They just do it. They violate their conscience. They violate the law. But they know that it's wrong. And there's a certain amount of that. And I can't... I can't measure it. I can't put my finger on it. I can't give you a list that says, here it is. But there's a certain amount of that that is innate. I mean, it's not just because you've been told. It's because you're created in the image of God. And I don't know where to draw the line with it. You know, I mean, some guy may commit murder without any conscience regarding murder. But I guarantee you, he has some concept of right and wrong because he's created in the image of God. And because as part of being created in the image of God, we are moral beings. We can actually do 
moral actions and we can understand sometimes the difference between right and wrong. We have an innate knowledge of right and wrong. And we have an innate responsibility, uh, or I'm sorry, we have an innate uh, sense of responsibility. So that's going to be the next one, number four. We are responsible beings. So not only are we moral beings, but we're responsible for our actions. Not only are we moral beings capable of doing moral actions, but we are responsible for those actions. And we just saw in Genesis 9 that God is clear about that. I mean, that's just one example. That's talking about murder. But you commit murder, you are to be held responsible for that. Try to move a little quicker here. So the next one is, we are rational. Or I'm sorry, we are that too. That's another one. But we are relational. We are relational. And I, I think that is directly related to what we were talking about a moment ago, the Godhead, the triunity of God. God in, at His very... Uh, in his very nature, his very essence is relational. Before anything else existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed as a perfect unity and perfect relationship to one another. Um, and so, number six, we possess self-awareness. Um, you know, I was trying to think, where would you uh, find like a scripture that supports that? And, and I... You could probably point to many, but let me just tell you what came to mind. Psalm 90, verse 12. The psalmist says, So teach us, he's praying to the Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. I mean, there's a self-awareness that causes us to wonder what it's all about and how long it's all going to last and what are we here for? You know, so I mean, we think of the great, the great questions, uh, you know, like the, our purpose in life. And even like we were talking about the origin of life earlier um, and, and in chapter 1 and so forth. Animals don't have those kinds of discussions. You know, they don't say, I wonder where we came from. Why, why are we here? Where are we going? How's all this, where's, what direction is all this going in? But human beings do because... We have self-awareness. One more, we are eternal. Now, don't confuse that with eternality. You say, what's the difference? Well, I would include in eternality, um, no beginning. The only, the only being that possesses the attribute of eternality is God. <clears throat> God possesses the attribute of eternality. No beginning, no ending. Now, we have a beginning, but no end. Because God has created us to exist forever. From the starting point, and then on, no ending. So, in fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes says this in Ecclesiastes 3.11, He has made everything, talking about God, He has made everything beautiful in its time, also he has put eternity into man's heart. God has put eternity into man's heart. And I, that's, I would say that's part of being created in the image of God. Now, one more thing and we're done here. This is point number two, the main point. As far as main points, point number two. First one was God created man. The second one is God commissioned man. God commissioned 
man. So let's go back, or let me go back. You may already be there. Go back to Genesis 1. God created man in his own image. And then you get down again to verse 28, Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, we already talked about subduing and having dominion. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and so on. And I told you then we'd come back to the first part of that. So here it is. God commissioned man. And what did He tell man? Well, it's kind of a uh, twofold thing, but of course they go together. You don't have one without the other. But it's be fruitful. That is, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So you've got a command. Here's what you need to do. You need to be fruitful and multiply. And then there's a goal. Fill Fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What's going on here in just a few remaining minutes that we have here? I'm going to suggest that all of this is related. That's a pretty safe suggestion, I guess. But but here's here's how. Here's how I'm suggesting it's all related. God has created to display His glory. So now you can you can say God has God has created all things. God has created the earth. God has created the heavens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, meaning the whole universe, the whole shebang, whatever whatever is, came from God, His creative power. So God created all things for His own glory, and then at the height of the creation uh, work there at the at the apex. God creates man, a creature that actually bears His image. So, so now, if you remember that um, God's first goal is to glorify Himself in all of His creation, which He does, by the way. I mean, just just the just the sun and the moon and the stars and the birds and the caterpillars and whatever. Just them doing what they do, what they are created to do, brings glory to God. But then there's a more special way, specific way to fill the earth with the glory of God, and that would be to fill the earth with images of God. I thought it was interesting. I was reading this one commentator the other day. uh, um, He was talking about how the temple theme runs throughout Scripture, and, and he was relating it to the Garden of Eden, how what essentially is happening here, God has created a dwelling place. and So, so He's made a temple. He's made a temple for Himself, for His own glory. And the commentator said, Any, anybody reading this in the ancient world, all, all of the ancient people, when they built a temple for whatever God, didn't I, you know, I'm not even talking about... Didn't, not even limited to the true God. But when they, when they built a temple for, what, for whatever God, what did they do? What did they put in there? An image. An image of their God, right? They, they built a temple and they put up an image. So he was suggesting that, that's what God has done. He built a temple, in this case the Garden of Eden, or you might just say the earth, the, all of the world. He built a temple... 
And He put an image of Himself there. Man. Male and female. But He wants to fill up, not, you know, not, not just have a representation there in the Garden of Eden, but fill the whole earth with His likeness. So He commissions man. Commands man. He gives us a mandate. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over it. Yes, but not just that. In fact, there's a way to accomplish that, and that is fill it. Fill it up. Fill it up. Why? Because we bear His image. So the more people there are, the more little images of God there are. Habakkuk 2.14 says there's coming a time when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And one way that that's being accomplished is through God's image bearers. And of course, uh, I mean just men in general, but of course, and then of course ultimately it is those who come to the knowledge of God through faith in Jesus Christ being conformed to the image of Christ who is the express image of God, the exact representation. So let me just close with it. And by, by the way, I should, one more thing, just because our, our culture has such a low view of, of uh, uh, children and families today. Uh, just, just this past week I had uh, someone say that, you know, they've been told they're having too many children. Um, that should never come out of the mouth of a Christian. That's exactly what we've been commanded to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. I'm not saying you've got to try to do it all on your own. but <laughs> I'm just saying we all, all ought to do our part seriously in fulfilling that commission. I wish I had understood that when we were younger. I really do. Don't discourage young people from having kids. You do. You're discouraging them. You're encouraging them to to disobey God. Um, and it needs to be under the right circumstances. Yes, but but uh, yes, have kids. They bear the image of God. One last thing. I, I just mentioned a moment ago. Christ is the exact representation. He is the perfect image of God. How, how can we be complete or perfect, as it were, as image bearers? Because, you know, while we've been talking about this, I mean, you may be thinking, okay, Scripture says we, we, are image, we, we bear God's image, so I believe it's true, but I sure don't see it in my life. It's a mess. Well, yes, because of sin, because of the fall. And God has provided a remedy for that. A correction. A reversal of the effects of the fall. And that is, through faith in Jesus Christ, in other words, what I'm about to say, this is true of every Christian. For Christians, we are in a process, the Scripture tells us. We call it sanctification. We are in a process of being 
conformed to the image. Same word, image. The image of Christ. So the only way to truly, faithfully, completely bear the image of God is to be made into the image of Christ, who is the perfect image of God. And if you... If there happens to be somebody in this room today who does not know Christ, I want you to know uh, you can know God and be a true, accurate, complete image bearer through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. But you must come to Him through Christ. And for those of us who know Christ who are here today, uh, let me just say, I hope you take that as real encouragement because the Bible does speak of it as a process. We are being changed from glory to glory. We're taking on the image of Christ. So when you look at yourself, when you, when you put your, yourself under the, you know, in front of the mirror of the Word and you say, I see so much trouble there. So many props. So much that is not like God. Take heart. (laughs) Because if you're His, you are being conformed to His image. And you know what? Just like Paul said to the Philippians, what He started, He will bring to completion. He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please? God created man. Man did not create himself. Man did not create God. God created man. And God made man, male and female, in His own image. Christian, it is God who conforms us to the image of of Christ. It's not our job. We're not capable of it. It's God who does it. Do we need to obey God? Absolutely. (laughs) But it's God who does it. Let's pray. David, do you mind leading us in a word of prayer?